You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and this is America's Web Radio. Today in studio, I have with me David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi. Uh, so glad you guys are here with me on this very warm, warm. <laughs> Atlanta day. <laughs> Whoo! Hot summer day and a full moon. And a full moon and Mercury is in retrograde. Do not buy any electronics. Or try and fix any. <laughs> or sign major contracts. <laughs> we have people laugh at us about knowing when the full moon is. My husband thinks I'm absolutely nuts, and I can see you nodding out there in Radio Land, Russell. But um, we really do see uh, a great increase, if not necessarily in relapses and admissions. We just see a great increase in anxiety, agitation, irritability. Um, and that, and that, problems that just come up around the full moon. Right. And it's usually the two or three days before. Once the full moon hits, we seem to get a little bit of a break. Um, but this this has been quite the, quite the few days yes. preceding the full moon. So that aside, there was a very um, disturbing article presented by NPR a few days ago, Michael, that you brought to our attention. And after reading that, we discussed and thought this would be a really good topic and one that we haven't really talked about directly. And that is the impact of having a parent with the disease of addiction when you are a little child. Right. And this report that was released in JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, and their pediatric edition, said that because of parental drug abuse, since between 2000 and 2017, there have been more than double the number of children placed in foster care because of parents related um, to drugs and alcohol. In fact, they talk about um, almost 5 million cases of children being placed in foster care because one or both of their parents were having issues with drugs and alcohol and they were unable to safely care for their children. Yes, and they also, I think, mentioned that um, most children, when it's alcohol or drug related, Mm -hmm. are under the age of 5 for that foster care. And, And... they said that until 2012, mm-hmm. I believe, from 2000 to 2012, the number each year had been decreasing. Right. So so the number of, of children going into foster care for overall. overall was decreasing. But then by the time 17 came around, the number in foster care has doubled. And that's really quite frightening. These are statistics that are from the Adoption Foster Care Analysis and Reporting System. This is a federal mandated data collection service that um, keeps track of children in foster care, also keeps track of the reasons that they're there and when the kids are able to be returned to parents or not. This was really disturbing to me. And we we often talk about addiction being a family disease, and we focus on the impact on 
spouses, on parents of kids who have the disease of addiction. We've occasionally talked about siblings, but I, I'm trying to remember if in the 12 or so years we've done this show, actually it's more than 12, since 2000, no. He started in nine. Uh, right. Ne- never mind. I can't ten, do math today. It's well too ten well years. too hot. <laughs> ten years ago, um, I don't think we've ever actually talked um, in any depth about children, right. young children whose parents have the disease of addiction. Well, and and sometimes we do talk about adolescent Correct. and how adolescents, you know, they may have a parent or two parents that have the disease of addiction, and then they go on to become addicted themselves correct but we don't really and haven't really talked about the young children under the age of seven right that this is a huge impact Mm -hmm. and generally when we've talked about it in that scenario it's been the the adolescent that's in treatment we've often had representatives and we're going to again in a few weeks representatives from people who work regularly with adolescents. with adolescents who are in drug and alcohol treatment themselves right the the young people but the, the children children that's a the researcher that that's really doing this push is a woman by the name of angelica angela Angel, angelica i can't speak again <laughs> well, Meinhofer, who who really was noticing that there's been so much emphasis on the mortality rate because of the opiate ep- academic but really not much press about um about the children that are left behind and the ones that are being taken out of homes because of addiction. So her emphasis with this is really wanting to shed a light on what a huge problem that is. And and so us taking the opportunity today, if we can help spread that word, that this is something that's really out there. And I know also, Michael, that in, in your family... Part of one, a member in your family actually works in this field, right? She's a uh, she's a advocate for for children in the state of Iowa, and um, she's an attorney and mm-hmm. and she represents um, children. Um, and her the number of cases that she's had to uh, take on has it's it's just beyond belief how many cases. And you know, people think of a midwestern town that. Um, that you wouldn't Salt have that, yeah, that type of a problem, and it's not true. Drugs and alcohol affect every portion of the country and the world. We were just having a treatment team earlier um, and discussing a young mother who had acknowledged to us that she was drinking and then driving with her children. And so that, as uh, healthcare providers, we're mandated. We we must report that to the Department of Family and Children's Services. Uh, it's up to them to investigate to see what kind of risk. Uh, but it's always heartbreaking, and you you feel very badly when someone has the disease of addiction, and when they're active in their disease, it is creating such havoc. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of this just seems to be brought to my attention more and more from your pointing out the article, um, your niece, um, and then having this incident today where we're going to have to make a formal report. It, it really it really is um, so very sad. Well, and it, it also goes to the point that when we're talking about this, even myself, for sure, but... I think all of us 
when we hear of things like that, our initial th- our initial reaction is anger to go towards anger at the person for being um, so irresponsible or being so careless or or and whatever putting their children in jeopardy putting children which is valid but it's also this fact that they have addiction they have a disease of addiction and if they could control the disease of addiction they would right but they can't and so it just feeds into the same old thing of punish not treat right so I, th- I thought it was very interesting that some of this, uh, art- some of the articles was talking about the fact that, you know, maybe we need to, the minute a child is taken from home because of drugs, then that person should be entered into treatment. Right, the parents and yes. family treatment. Absolutely, you know. because this um, this is a high risk family, and we'll talk a little bit more shortly about some of the outcomes and some of the aftermath of these children. But I think that five million sounds like a lot and it is, but this isn't counting all of the kids that are now living with grandparents or living with an aunt or a neighbor or a friend of the parent. Or uh, a sibling that's uh, 16 taking care of and taking the role of the mother right. in the family. And that's one of the things that does happen uh, as the kids get a little bit older. They're much less likely to be removed from the household because actually they are the parent for the household, for themselves and often for uh, younger siblings, but also for their parents themselves. They're often in the position of having to take care of them. So this is a huge Problem is one that's not talked about very much. It's one of the unintended consequences of the opioid ap- ap- epidemic. It's certainly th- these young children, some of them may have been exposed to drugs and alcohol in utero. Mothers might have used when they were pregnant. They might have had some early years of par- parental use and neglect before the drug and alcohol um, addiction got so out of hand that someone outside the family noticed and notified the authorities that these children were in danger. So this has probably been a really hard life for these little kids already from before birth going through potentially neonatal abstinence syndrome where they may be in withdrawal from the drugs that their mother might have used um, all the way through then being removed from the home. Yeah, it's it's just a a really sad situation that... um, when you think about it, it's it's so forgotten, kind of. That aspect, though, that you brought up with the, with the case conference you were talking about, really highlights part of why so many of these kids stay stuck. Because there is such a message that if this message gets out of the house, your parents are going to be taken away. You're going to be taken away. The home's going to be broken up. So there's a, a real solid message of. Do not talk about what happens inside this house, outside of the house. Because it's real. It's not one of the the stories that that sometimes kids are told about what bad thing is going to happen if they break a household rule. No, this this is really a reality. Mm -hmm. Um, And unfortunately, many parents realize that, and they use that as a leverage for 
keeping their kids quiet. It's really hard to think about, but um, it's very important to think about. So we're going to highlight that today. We're going to take a break first. When we come back, we'll talk more about these unintended consequences. Please stay tuned. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today I have with me Michael Daly and David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center, and we're talking about the unintended consequences of um, having a parent who has the disease of addiction. We often talk about the impact on the person with addiction itself. We often talk about uh, family, community, work. But one of the areas that, unfortunately, we have neglected to talk too much about, and apparently um, uh, it's becoming a growing problem, and that's these young children, children under the age of seven, that are now being um, taken away into foster care. Before we leave that one particular subject, I think it would be really helpful if... um, if people began to recognize this problem and if our listening audience 
would look at your your life circumstances and maybe uh, you or um, someone you know might be willing to become a foster parent. The services are being overrun and there are not nearly enough good, solid, stable homes for these kids to be fostered in for a few days, sometimes for a longer period than that. But it's it's a growing need, and if you have any availability to do that, I think it would be a wonderful service and quite a gift for these young kids who have really been traumatized. There's so many um, terror stories out there and fear stories of if you're going to get sent to foster care and you're going to get abused. And certainly those things do happen, and you hear about those stories in the news. But the, the other side of it is that there are many, many kids that are finally getting three meals a day and getting a place where they can feel safe and a place where they can actually go to sleep at night and find out that there are adults that care and providing caring wonderful homes while their parents are Mm -hmm. hopefully getting getting recovery and and getting some help and rebuilding their lives so think about it look at where you live and contact your department of health and human services they often can give information about how to become a foster parent what the qualifications are and it's certainly a service that we greatly greatly need and um these kids are are really hurting. In fact, uh, not just the kids that are being placed in foster care, but the kids that are still at home. Absolutely. A a Harvard study back in 2016 showed that one in five kids growing up, and these are children under the age of 12, live in a home where one or both parents are active in the disease of addiction, Mm -hmm. not just occasionally misusing drugs or alcohol, but who are, would meet criteria for addiction and would benefit certainly from treatment. These kids are actually in those homes trying to survive and trying to um, grow up, and um, they have a huge risk, and that was what the study showed. They have a great risk in terms of developing psychiatric problems and developing medical problems and also Behavior. becoming um, addicted and behavioral problems. And behavioral problems, right. They don't often have words to express their fear or their anger or their frustration. So they can't talk it out. They act it out. And Absolutely. And you'll see this uh, behavior coming out and maybe a red flag to teachers, community members, or family members when you see a sudden change in a child's behavior. It would be a good thing to probably try and see if that child might need some help. You know, what was so interesting about that study is that it, it really recognized that pediatricians are are one of the professionals in that child's life that's very likely to recognize the situation, and mm-hmm. they're already asking questions of the child that, um, that help the child to begin speaking. Um, the study pointed out that... that I don't remember the exact numbers, but a vast number of them experience physical abuse, emotional abuse, and sexual abuse, and and pediatricians can begin that dialogue. And what the study was showing is that if a pediatrician brings it up, oftentimes the parents will seek help, but even if they don't, that it will oftentimes begin changing the behaviors within that home. Um, and, you know, the fear is it's going to put the child in an unsafe situation, but the studies are showing it doesn't. The studies are showing when the situation is brought up, people actually do 
want help. And they make a change, and, and we know that often people are so afraid and they don't know what to do. They don't even know that there might be help for them. They certainly may not know how to access help or where to go, and they are often quite relieved when somebody says to them, do you have a problem? Is there a way we can find you some help? They're right. relieved. And and it's interesting, though, because sort of the more we talk about these type of issues and, and the family issues and the um, with with uh, alcohol abuse and, and drug abuse is the fact that many times our doctors are not well trained with addiction in mind. So I don't know how many pediatric um, physicians are taught that Yes, there are certain signs, there are certain things that you should probably ask these young people because it will give you a lot of answers about the home life. Mm -hmm. And that was part of the reason this particular study was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, the pediatric um, section, uh, was teaching the doctors and, and outlining for them a dialogue about what to say, how to bring it up, uh, and how to um, counsel the children as well as the families. Because it is hard, and many of them have never been trained at all in any kind of understanding of the disease of addiction. So it is falling to many of us to spend more time talking about this and talking with our, our medical colleagues about the need to recognize addiction. They don't have to know how to treat it. They no. don't even know have to know what the next step is. They just need to identify it and connect that person somehow um, with resources in the community. Right. And they don't even have to connect them with the right resources if they just get a uh, connection, get a of connection some to some resources. Almost every treatment center that I'm aware of or every psychiatric hospital, if they are not the right fit, they certainly often have the names, the phone numbers, information about where might be a right fit. Right. And that um, knowing that, I think, also helps doctors to feel more comfortable because you don't want to raise a subject and then not have a, an answer or a solution for it. So I'm glad this article talked about how to talk to the kids. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, as you were saying earlier, when they're able to talk to them, in particular talking to the parents with the disease of addiction in mind, that this is a disease and it's something that, you know, one in ten people have, rather than you're a bad parent and you're doing horrible things to your child, but uh, that you have a disease and that there's help, parents are able to recognize it. Right. The other thing, um, I have an older sister that is a teacher, and she's... You've got just a family full <laughs> of, of working with children. Just, uh, health uh, caregiver. Absolutely. Health caregiver. And... Um, so she when t- they all talk the about, podcast, <laughs> she talks about the fact that, um, so, you know, she'll see children that are obviously being neglected and being kind of um, probably from a, a family of of addiction, and how difficult and and how they have to be so cautious about the steps that they take, so that for one thing, they don't get the trouble, you know, the child into more trouble at home and and doing what's right for the child you know because if you if you do something in the wrong way then 
it might just make the child's life much worse. Well, in particular, school teachers have a very specific guidelines on when they get in for this information that they have to talk to the school counselor and the school counselor has to proceed forward with it um, because there was a time when teachers would get involved and that role would get kind of confused right. and it would create different problems just because of the role confusion. Mm-hmm. So they, they do now have policies and procedures uh, within the school system about how to um, address this issue and what kind of steps are appropriate. Uh, I Again, referring to this Harvard study, I think what's interesting is that even if the parents don't get help, the child is much more likely to be able to talk to the doctor, um, to feel like they can have some help and support, and they're less likely to have issues related to um, their own substance use. The, the studies on ESPERT, screening, um, brief intervention, and return, referral to treatment that have taken place in the emergency room where uh, the emergency room physician identifies somebody with a drug or alcohol problem and there is a certain step and some screening tools that they can use to identify who is at risk and how at risk they are, that even having the doctor make that kind of intervention and suggest to the person that they need to decrease their drinking or their smoking has an impact. Sometimes up to 50% of these people will be able to decrease um, or discontinue their use of drugs and alcohol, and that's huge. It and is. that's not expensive. It doesn't take a ton of time, but it certainly can have a really big, big impact. So the, the pediatrician, primary care doctors taking a moment to assess and make a referral just to say you really might want to look at how much you're drinking can have an impact on that person being able to, to cut back or decrease their drinking altogether. So it does make a difference. People can help by asking the question. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll look more at the physical and emotional dangers for these children at risk. Thanks for listening. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Please join us at 4 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. This is America's Web Radio, and I'm Dr. Susan Blank. 
With me today in studio are David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center, and we've been talking about the unintended consequences, the effect on children whose parents are addicted to drugs and alcohol. The study from um, uh, that was brought up earlier about the young people being placed in foster care really got us thinking more and more about this particular group of young children that certainly probably are not exhibiting the disease of addiction themselves, but they're certainly exhibiting the impact of this disease. And again, we talk about the family disease, we talk about it being genetically inherited. Certainly these children have risk of genetically inheriting the disease of addiction, although it's not 100% penetrance, meaning it won't necessarily, just because you have one parent, even if you have two parents with addiction, statistically it doesn't mean that you are going to have it. You have a two out of three chance, but that's still pretty good odds. So there's the gene part of it, but then there's the epigenetic part of it, which is we are really influenced by the people around us, and we're very influenced in our early childhood by the people who raise us and the people who care for us. And when there is a parent who is literally absent because of the disease, maybe they're in jail, maybe they're in treatment, maybe they've just Back and forth left the home, two. Um, or maybe they're present, but they're present meaning they're there, but they're under the influence or they're trying to recover from the influence of drugs or alcohol, and children are neglected Yes, and left to fend for themselves and figure out how to take care of themselves. You know, we have actually talked about this from the perspective of the adult child of an alcoholic and helping those folks recognize that these are some of the ways you may have been impacted. Um and, and because they can ha- often really be baffled by a lot of their own behaviors and their own um, choices and things. But what I think is so cool about the, the next article that we were looking at is that it's really written for the child um, with guidelines for the child. If they're, at a, if they're recognizing that the child can, can get some help. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I the whole time reading it, I was thinking, well, this is just really cool the way the perspective that's being put on there. I think it's very helpful, and if you are interested in um, in looking at this, um, American Addiction Centers has published the guide f- for children of addicted parents, and it was last revised in June uh, of 2019. So this is a very recent, very helpful information both for the children themselves, but for caregivers and people around the children. And it starts out with some basic stats, you know, to kind of emphasize the importance Mm -hmm. of it. It basically says 25% of kids who grow up in households where substance abuse is present um, are likely to have a poor school performance, emotional and behavioral problems, low self-esteem, they're at a higher risk for physical, verbal, and sexual abuse. They have a higher risk for developing anxiety and depression. 
and they have an earlier onset of experimentation with drugs and alcohol. And we we see this all the time in our adults when we're getting their histories. Um, but in terms of just really acknowledging it for children that are still children, um, is is really kind of cool. Well, and it's really interesting because when like when we're in the family group, and many uh, parents of either children or a spouse of someone, they'll talk about how, you know, they want to talk to their 14 to 17-year-old. Mm-hmm. And David and I oftentimes will say, well, wait, that's that's, that's too late. too late, right. You know, we we need to talk about this between 10 and and. and and 12 and 13 14 because that's you, that's when the pressure and the the availability is from there. the perspective of, of the, their experimental use they, absolutely they are trying nicotine if not mm-hmm. other things already by that point um, but this is kind of pointing out that even at a younger age there are things that teachers will see right that if teachers are mindful of this they can start taking action sooner and really begin to help um, help these children because, as, as you said, David, 25% of children are living in a household where there is at least one parent using a substance. And because of that, this risk um, for the children of the low self-esteem, problems in school, uh, these kinds of things are really serious because... While the parent may get treatment, um, things may get better, sometimes, unfortunately, kids get labeled as the troublemaker, the problem child, the one who's lazy, the one who doesn't get their work done. Um, And that, that title and that impression that they may have of themselves may not be true at all, certainly, but may follow them for a very long time, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And these kids continue, even though things may be better at home or not. Well, and, and we see all the time people who come in with the diagnosis of ADD, and they've been on, on ADD medication or. since they were kids, right? where they clearly have an anxiety disorder and their behaviors have been coping skills to deal with anxiety and they really don't have ADD. Right. right. Um, so often these kids are showing these symptoms in a classroom and they just get sent to the pediatrician to get on some medicine before they can come back to the classroom rather than asking the questions to get them some help. And mm-hmm. it's the wrong medicine. Right. So rather than treating this child's depression or anxiety with an appropriate medication, which might be appropriate to help the child, um, they're put on a medication that indeed actually makes things worse and, and may make the child even more at risk for Prone. developing an addiction to stimulants or, or, or for using other drugs. It is crucial and I as I'm sitting here I'm just thinking more and more about um, about some of these kids and and thinking of this some of the stories that people have shared with us um, about you know being five or six years old and having to get up and fix breakfast for their younger siblings and uh, having to miss school because they're afraid that the baby's not going to get fed mm-hmm. not not understanding you know 
that they're the, a kid they're, and that that's not their job. Um, but they can't get mom up. Daddy's not home. But and f- and for some of these kids, it, the substance abuse becomes their bonding experience with their with their parent. Um, many of them will talk about the first time I tried marijuana was with my mom or the first time I had a drink was with my dad and it'll be kind of like a point of pride but also the beginning of a lot of problems Mm -hmm. and use that is um, as inappropriate Um, before we get too far down how bad this is because it is pretty bad I think that children can also play a very important role in inspiring the parent to get and stay sober we often hear people as we talk about What's your motivation? Why now? Um, and they'll say, "For my kids, mm-hmm. I want to. I want to be a better parent. I want to be more present for my kids, and I'm not." And and that's the start usually. Right. I mean, that's where that seed is planted. Mm-hmm. But not always does. Are you know just because I have kids, am I able to stop? Right, and that's and that's devastating too. One of the questions that we'll have have patients answer when they first start this process of recovery is, what was the moment you knew that you didn't want your life to get any worse? And I'm reminded of one time where I was actually working with a grandmother, and her her four-year-old grandchild um, had said something along the lines of, oh, it's okay, Grandma, I'll get your drink for you. And it was like this kind of horror moment for this woman that this little four-year-old child was already becoming a bartender and for her that was a life-changing moment she was able to to get into the program and begin turning things around so out of the mouth of children right can sometimes be the inspiration um the aha moment that um can create um the the opportunity for that person to make change sometimes having the children removed from the home as devastating as that might be for all involved can also be an aha moment uh, for the the parent that they really need to take this seriously and that they really need to follow the the plan and get into and stay in recovery for their own sake and for the sake of their children. This is, um, this is really important. But often we see these kids have really become parentified children. Mm-hmm. And we use, this, we use this phrase quite a bit. Um, this is the child who is being asked to be more mature than their age, to take on responsibilities at home or for the family that are really well beyond what should be expected of a child that age and certainly and should be expected of, um, uh, of, a, of a child of any age. But you often see young, young people, young kids, kids, young. 9, right. 10, and 11, having to pay the bills, having to clean up the mess that uh, when somebody was drinking too much and they got sick all over the floor, having to help mommy or daddy into bed, having to uh, cook the dinner, wash the clothes, help the younger siblings with their homework. It, it's shocking when you see how responsible sometimes these very little kids actually are mm-hmm. and what a burden this is. They don't have a childhood. And in talking with some of them, 
they don't know how to play. Right. They have no idea how to play. They've been a parent since they were six, and um, they've been a parent most of their life, either to their siblings, their parent, or to their own children. And it creates um, all kinds Problems, of because that's the role that they sort of choose uh, to continue as they go forward, you know? It's how they coped. Yes. It's how they survived. It was necessary for them to do this because no one else was doing it for them. But these are the seeds of codependency, too, that we see that can be so damaging to that person themselves and to other people in their lives. And they're absolutely not learning the skills necessary to develop a healthy relationship later in life. Um, They're not learning... Because in your home growing up, it should be a place where you're learning security and safety and emotional um, vulnerability and learning it's okay to have a teddy bear and all these kind of things. And for this child, teddy bear might be fine today and tomorrow it's something to be ridiculed about. And so as adults, when you're getting into a relationship and you're with somebody from a healthy background and they want to know about your past or they want to... Um, Talk about open feelings. Up and share feelings, <laughs> vulnerable feelings, sad moments. That's enti- that's just entirely too threatening for for people who are, have had to survive since they were children, mm-hmm. and often had to hide their feelings to avoid um, abuse, ridicule, um, verbal and physical abuse by parents that are under the influence, out of control with their own addiction. Uh, kids learn pretty quickly to be invisible and to be um, very quiet about how they feel. They learn to hide. They learn to keep secrets. And again, they are doing these things to survive. Because they're learning what they need to do to feel safe. Correct. Or safer. Safer. They don't usually feel safe, but to feel safer... But these are um, defense mechanisms that are very hard to unlearn and sometimes very hard to even recognize that this is a problem. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the other effects and some of the ways in which people can be helped through this process. Please stay tuned. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge. 
not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. This is America's Web Radio. And today with me I have Michael Daly and David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center. And we're talking about the unintended consequences and often undiscussed consequences to young children whose parents have the disease of addiction. There are a number of resources that I want to make sure that you all understand and hear about. There is a wonderful program by Jerry Moe, M-O-E. He started this at um, Betty Ford Center. Uh, it's for children 12 and under um, whose parents are actively in treatment. And he, it's a three-day program where these kids go through all kinds of education about what the disease is. It's all age-appropriate. Um, they learn to make coloring books. They learn to talk about their fears. They learn to, um, they learn that they are not responsible for their parents drinking or using or not drinking or using. Um, and they learn how to ask for help. It's a wonderful healing program that these children experience and he has written a number of books again that's Jerry Moe and you can find some of his books and articles um, on Amazon Uh, he does have programs around the country now and there may be some available for young children but that's a really good resource um, for you to learn more and to think more about how to help these kids because um, these kids are often doing a whole lot and some of the ways in which they find themselves, um, they often become parentified, again, as we talked, but they often, this is a very common reason they might run away from home. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the kids that are on the street who then become vulnerable to all sorts of violence, human trafficking, and addiction, uh, these kids are escaping, living on their own, on the street is better than living at home. And if you think about that, it is pretty tragic. It really is. Many of these kids, though, are victims of this kind of situation. Now, so. is, is, is that for the kids that are not the first in line? Because isn't it generally the oldest kid turns into the caregiver and has to take responsibility for all the younger ones? So that would generally be somebody in the younger category that would run away, correct? So generally, and and just speaking statistically, it's generally the second one that runs away because that's the one that's taking kind of the blunt of the anger of the family system. 
um, the one that the the firstborn tends to be ha- has to be perfect and has to take care of everybody mm-hmm. and make sure everybody's safe. The last one tends to just kind of be really really cute and funny and and escapes their feelings by being you know the comedian the comedian. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally, it's the second one that that ends up. Taking the blunt of all of the pain of it all and running away or creating. And and that often is what helps get the entire family some help because that person ends up in the eyes of the authorities. (laughs) And unfortunately, because of their experiences at home, they often go to great lengths to avoid the authorities. Um, They're not very likely to reach out to a homeless shelter or a soup kitchen or other places where there are adults who are, are willing to, to help who are willing to help really but help. because of their history of physical sexual and emotional abuse at home and their distrust of the the facade of these are people who are supposed to be taking care of me i.e. my parents these are people who are supposed to be looking out for my best interest and they're hurting me and they're mistreating me they're neglecting me I, these other do-gooders out there I don't trust them either mm-hmm. and so they'll often avoid actually seeking help which is even more tragic it so is. these are the kids that really become uh, often the victims of um, the street violence, the human trafficking, and the drug addiction. So a lot of the social problems that we look at in terms of homelessness, in terms of violence, uh, a lot of these things may have stemmed from a child raised in a home that was not safe for them because one or both parents were either missing or under the influence of drugs and alcohol. And it's amazing how interconnected all this is, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Part of the article that we were talking about from um, American Addiction Centers talks about some basic rights that children should have. I have a right to speak up. I have a right to get help. I have a right to be loved. And I have a right to feel safe. And what strikes me is that real often when we talk about characteristics of dysfunctional homes and rules in dysfunctional homes, the rules that exist are don't talk, you don't, don't have the feel, right. don't trust. You basically don't have any sense of a right to feel safe and secure in your own, own home. And so for them, these children getting help, just being told, you have a right to say what you're thinking is, is a, a big Um, Uh aha when they're able to get that moment it's an aha moment Mm -hmm. and a very very um, important one and one that they haven't heard before (laughs) that they have that they have some of these rights Um, they often um, are even not able to talk to their friends they're telling stories to their friends they aren't able to be open and honest about what has happened to them and what's going on at home. And so that um, support that they might be getting from friends or from friends' families is is often not there because the kids don't feel safe to even talk about what's going on. So, again, if you have young people in your life and their friends come over and you begin to see some signs of neglect or fear or abuse, Uh, It may be time to try and reach out to the young person and see if there are ways that you can provide some support and provide some safety for them. 
it's a tight. <laughs> yeah, it's a tight rope. It's a difficult um, thing to to consider, but um, it's really very important. And often providing a um, a meal and a, a a bed and a safe place for the the child to be can go a long way in helping that child as they develop relationships older on uh, later on um, one of the things that we often see and I'll ask people about um, yes sounds like things were really rough at home for you growing up who was it that loved you or where did you feel safe and it's often a grandparent or a neighbor or a friend sometimes it's a coach sometimes it's a a Cub Scout leader, sometimes it's um, someone from their church or their community, someone that spent some time with them, that talked to them, that saw them. That's a phrase that people will often say, I felt like I was seen, like somebody actually looked at me and acknowledged my presence and recognize me as an individual and that just simply smiling at a child I I find it very interesting if I go to a restaurant you'll see little kids and they want to be recognized they want somebody to acknowledge their presence just waving and smiling to them Um, it's really interesting to see how how their demeanor changes Changes. and their willingness to try and engage and to be seen to be recognized as an individual so we can all provide that for people we can all see people and acknowledge their presence and that may be you know the first step for a, a young child that is really struggling to actually feel like they are heard they are heard they are seen and that they do have some rights yeah and they're important Letting them know that they're important is a step. And a little bit can sometimes go a long way. Um, But these are high-risk kids, and uh, these are um, situations that we need to really pay attention to in our community. We need to think about uh, the legislature and ways in which the criminal justice system may be able to more completely support the families. Some of the the suggestions in the articles we read talked about having drug courts also linked with um, family court family court and the and the defect system that uh, getting the parent in treatment and getting the child back home with proper supervision so that everybody is safe can often be a way to minimize the impact of being taken away from your parent and being raised um, in a home that is not your own so um, there are some things that could happen that should happen and that we as individuals of a community may have the ability if we think about it if we remember it and i feel guilty that we haven't been um as active from this platform in making people aware of the plight of these children and trying to provide some support so fostering children being uh, a part of um a community awareness and working with the legislature to try uh, your vote matters mm-hmm. and to try and find ways in which you can support 
uh, treatment for people who have the disease of addiction, decreasing the stigma associated with it so that it can be talked about in the open, not in secret. And supporting supporting teachers and supporting child advocates. Right. And even uh, volunteering for big brothers or big sisters, um, you know, that might be, you may be that person that the kid feels safe to start to talk about things so each of us can be the solution thanks for listening we will look forward to seeing you next week on detailing addiction you're listening to america's web radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com thank you for listening